0: Morning church, if you've got your Bibles with you, open them up to Exodus chapter 3 in whatever version you bring your Bible these days. Uh, Exodus chapter 3 is where we're going to be heading in a few moments, but let me start off by telling you about a couple of engineering students who attended the University of Texas in Austin. Uh, It was before finals week this last December. they had been studying hard for their algebra final when they decided to take the night off, head up to the Alamo Dome in San Antonio for a Kenny Chesney concert. Any Kenny Chesney fans here? Whoop, all right. Why did I say whoop? That's not good. That's, hook them horns. All right. They didn't get home till late, though, the next morning, and accidentally overslept for their final. That's not good. And so they decided to concoct a story for their professor to tell him, and here's what they settled on, that they had uh, ruined a tire on Interstate 35, and nobody could stop and help them, and so they had to get it fixed, and then they had to spend the night, and so they got in late and couldn't get to his final. Well, the professor heard all that and said, hey, no problem, boys. Accidents happen all the time. Just be here in the morning, and you can take your final then. Oh, man, these guys thought they were in the clear. I mean, they were out of the woods completely until they showed up the next morning. And the professor led them each to a different classroom and said, you guys take the final and then bring it to me. Well, they looked at the first question. The first question was for five points. It was a typical algebra problem. They handled it pretty well. But then they went to the second question. It was for 95 points. And it was a lot more difficult. The professor simply asked, after the concert, which tire on the car went flat? (laughs) Mm Mm-hmm. They did not see that coming, I can assure you. Now, that phrase, didn't see it coming, just jumped out at me. It was a book that I've been intentionally wanting to read. I purchased, had been sitting on my desk. But I saw the title, and I said, that's got to be the basis for my new series. Now, again, I really haven't read it yet. I'm about into chapter 2. But I I took that title and I went to the Scriptures and I said, man, I know a lot of men and women in this book who experienced some things in their life they absolutely didn't see coming. Circumstances that God chose to record in His Word, not just for their sake, because they didn't even know that they were writing the Bible, but for our sake. Now, God used these circumstances to mold and shape their lives into His image, but He also left them for us to hopefully be painlessly molded into the shape of His image without some of the mistakes that they made, us not having to make. This last Mother's Day, we looked at Abraham and Sarah's lives, a couple who for decades couldn't get pregnant. Well into their 70s, they were unable to have a child until, I'm telling you, out of nowhere on just a normal Tuesday or a normal Thursday, God shows up in Abraham's life and says, you're going to have a son. Really? You're not just going to have a son. You're going to have many children, so many it could be called a nation, and not only will it be called a nation, I'm going to use that nation to bless all other nations. Man, he didn't see that coming. Well, it didn't come for about 25 years. About the point when they were uh, ready to give up, maybe, on that promise. But God shows up, and sure enough, Abraham has a boy. His name is Laughter. Remember that? His name's Isaac. And, and, and no wonder they named him Laughter, because, man, Sarah had been to a lot of showers. Can you imagine all those years and all the, the, the relatives that she had? But she had never been to her own baby shower. And I'm telling you, when she hosted her own, she was just giddy. You couldn't wipe the smile off of her face. And she would tell you, I didn't see that coming. Because she didn't. It was unexpected as anything you can imagine in your life. And before we move on to this week's lesson, can I remind you of three three points of that lesson? And here's why. Because here's how God matures anybody's faith. He calls his own. I think that's something to go back and take a little glimpse of. First of all, God's going to call you. Every single one of you, God's going to tap you on the shoulder and say, Come here, I want you to be mine. Secondly, when he does, he's going to enable you with everything that you need to be, everything he hopes you'll be. And then lastly, he's going to test you, just like he did Abraham and Sarah, guarantee you, because that's just the way he matures faith. Abraham was blessed by that process, and so will you. Now, we looked at that lesson two weeks ago. took a little time to head up to the mountains and kind of get my batteries recharged, but we're back. And we're going to look at a different lesson this week Uh, not about an unexpected birth, but rather we're going to look at Moses' life and talk about an unexpected fire. Now, here's a picture I want you to get a glimpse of. And you be looking at that and trying to see what it was like for Moses to see that for the very first time while I read you what he describes in his own words that he lived for the very first time. Here we go. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led that flock to the far side of the wilderness, to the mountain area of Horeb. And there an angel of the Lord appeared to him in the flames of fire coming out of a bush. And Moses saw though the bush was on fire, it didn't burn up. And so Moses thought, I'm going to go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. But when the Lord saw that he had gone to look, God called out to him from within that bush, Moses, hey, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, he said. You take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. And then he said, I am the God of your father. I am the God of Abraham. I am the God of Isaac. I am the God of Jacob. And at that, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at such a God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying because of the slave drivers. I'm concerned about their suffering. And so I've come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out into a land that's good, a spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. Please know that the cry of the Israelites has reached me. I've seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And so now I'm sending you to Pharaoh, To bring my people out of Egypt into this promised land. Let's pray. Wow, God. Moses didn't see that coming. We know it. (laughs) No way. Not where he was at. Not for how long he had been there either. And some of us walked into this room really not ready for you. We walked in here with some stuff that we've been covering, that we've been hiding, that we've actually been enslaved to. And um, we're not really expecting you to do much of anything with it. We just, we've been slaves for too long. So my prayer is, God, that your holy fire would burn among us today through the power of your Spirit in a way that only you can. Father, we're not the only ones who are praying that. I know Faith Christian this morning is, is warning you desperately to come into their worship service to make good on your promise that wherever two or more are gathered, you're there in their midst and that you would do something among them that they can't do for themselves. Would you be their fire like we're hoping you would be a holy fire among us today? Please, unify our hearts, heal our hearts, forgive our hearts, empower our hearts to be everything you've dreamed for us to be. Thank you. And in Jesus' name, everyone said. I don't know if you saw Clark's kid vid, but uh, he invited Ricky and I to come and to play a game with him, cool or not cool. Anybody ever played that before? Well, it was a great game to play. We had, a, we had fun with it. But then he asked us when we were done with the game, what, what's the coolest story in the Bible? Well, I got to go first, and I said, I can tell you what mine is. Mine's the burning bush in Moses. And i got a couple of reasons for that. Number one is because I was preaching on it this Sunday. (laughs) And so it was fresh on my heart and my mind. But I'm telling you, I really do think it's one of the coolest stories in all of Scripture. But secondly, I think it's cool because I would have loved to have seen the look on Moses' face as he encounters this brush fire. He'd seen brush fires before. He'd seen uh, the twigs falling and the the leaves crinkling. And he'd seen the sparks flying. But he ain't never seen anything like what he saw before coming out of this bush. It was on fire, but it wasn't burning up. And so he had to go over and see this thing. I would have loved to have seen the look on his face, but I would have also loved to hear the testimony that came from his lips, because this is a man who was on the run for a crime he committed. And all of a sudden, there's a God in front of him who's giving him a task for which he was needed. That was a stunner. He didn't see that one coming. We didn't see it coming. And to hear God say, look, you made your bed, Moses. You're going to lie in it. Instead, what he gets to hear is this. I have a purpose for you, son. Come on. Come and live in it. Who am I talking about? When I prayed a few moments ago that some of us in this room came with some things that maybe we were running from, maybe that we were hiding from, things that we felt like maybe we were enslaved. I was talking to the person in this room, who promised for better or for worse, you would hold on to your marriage vows, and when the worst came and determined it was going to stay, you left. You let that 27-year marriage go. You bailed. You never saw that coming, but you did. And you've always been wondering, is there any way in the world that God could redeem that? Is there any way that God could transform that and actually use that for good? I'm talking to you, sister, who, who often has berated men who've cheated on their wives, calling them weak and calling them pathetic until the night you were working late. And that night you joined the fraternity of the unfaithful. And you didn't see that coming. And you're hoping maybe, just maybe, that, that God could redeem that, that He could transform that and maybe even use that. Maybe that doesn't apply to you, but maybe you sold from the company enough money to be labeled a felony. You didn't do any jail time. But the fine that you received emptied your bank account and the loss of the right to vote or to own a firearm emptied your self-respect. And you hate that. And you wonder, is there any way that God can redeem this? Is there any way that God can transform this and maybe even use this? And maybe none of that applies to you, but you lied to your parents. You slandered a friend. You shared a confidence that you promised to keep silent about. You cheated. You slapped. You may have even killed someone, a little someone that was in your womb. And you never, ever saw that guy. And you're wondering, is there any way that God could heal that? Is there any way that God could transform that? And is there any way that God might even use that for His good? Now, how it's left you is beyond just um, disappointed. It's left you beyond depressed. It's, it's left you beyond just um, uh, having a bad day. No, it's left you with this moniker that's kind of piggybacked on all of that that says, you're damaged goods. Damaged goods. And I didn't have to put it up on the screen for you to feel that. No, you carry it around with you every single day. Well, Moses can empathize. You wouldn't have imagined it, by the way, that his life started. <laughs> it's pretty miraculous. Born into a slave's home, he was saved from a government-mandated death. (laughs) By that government himself, literally moved into the palace, became nobility, while his people remained slaves. He was reared in an Egyptian palace. His countrymen were reared in huts. Moses was privileged. He ate at the royal table. He was educated by the finest schools. But his most influential teacher was his mom. Now, she was an Israelite mom who was hired to be his nanny in the Pharaoh's palace. And it's not hard to imagine her whispering to her son while she was doing that raising, son, never forget. Never forget us. As a matter of fact, I think maybe God saved you for a very specific purpose, maybe even to free us. Never forget. And he never did. The stories of their great, great, great cousin Joseph helping save the whole nation of Egypt from from an incredible famine, those didn't go unheard. The cruelty of the enslavement of his people, that didn't go unnoticed. The Egyptians' death sentence for any Hebrew-born male didn't escape him. As a matter of fact, it inflamed him to the point that that fire broke out one day when he saw an Egyptian taskmaster beating a Hebrew slave. And when Moses witnessed his brutality, he acted instantly beat that Egyptian to death, and then he covered him up in some sand, thinking, nobody knows. And he kept thinking that until the very next day when he saw two of his own Hebrew brothers fighting, and he went in to stop it, saying, hey, 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 y'all, y'all, y'all are family. And one of them smarted off and said, really? <laughs> what kind of family are you? Are going to kill one of us like you did the Egyptian yesterday? And all of a sudden, Moses knew his secret wasn't a secret That was further confirmed when he headed back into town and saw wanted posters everywhere and his picture was on them. He knew in a heartbeat there's no way he could go to the palace to plead his case. No, no, no. He headed to the wilderness and got him a borrowed suitcase. And some of you know what that's like. You know what it's like to be on the run. You know what it's like to be undercover. You, You know what it's like at least to hide or to cover up and to cover over something in your life that you are praying. No one... Finds out of that. Moses knows what that feels like. Maybe like him, you you're, you're living. I mean, it's an existence, but it's not much of a life—not one that you would wish for anybody. Because it piggybacks with that label. Damaged goods. Damn, it's goods. That just sounds. Ter- it is terrible. and there's no way I would leave it there. Because I I, I honestly believe, you didn't know this, (laughs) you weren't preparing for the sermon, but this isn't just some story in a Bible somewhere. This could be, listen to me, your burning bush day. It could be your burning bush day. Because God would like to have a word with you about it. Whatever it is you've been carrying around and been trying to cover over and trying to hide away, He'd like to take that And if you would bring it to His holy fire, to His Holy Spirit, let me tell you what He's going to do with it. He's going to forgive it, and He's going to heal it, and He's going to use it for His glory and for good. I know you don't know that like Moses didn't know it. But I'm telling you, I don't have to make this up. That's what He does. That's what holy fire does in a person. That's why we talk so much about the Holy Spirit his fire that he's placed, not just in a bush, he's put it in bodies. If you want him there, I hope with all of my heart to point you to a fire that Moses made in the wilderness because I want you you to hear this. He'll meet you in yours. Which brings me to the fourth reason why I chose this story from among the coolest stories in the Bible. It's because in this story, God says, If this extraordinary God can inhabit a bush, an ordinary bush, if if Moses' life could be damaged goods transformed into a divine purpose that's usable and helpful and meaningful, what what could he do with you? What could he do with you? Now, I'm going to admit this not just any bush could pull this off, not just any fire. You can't just go warm yourself by a bonfire, carry around your big lighter with you. That fire doesn't necessarily heal, doesn't necessarily transform, doesn't necessarily get used for something great in this world. But a holy bush set ablaze by God does. Moses knew him as the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We know him as the God who raises the dead. Yes, He's a God who makes cripples walk and blind eyes see. And yes, He he makes deaf ears hear. He's the God who put the, the moon and the stars in the sky. He's the God who molded the mountains and the seas with just His voice. But above all, church, He is the God who predicted that His Son would die at the hands of a very specific people, die in a very specific way, would be in that grave for a very specific period of time, and then He would raise Him Specifically and bodily forever. And he not only predicted it, he pulls it off. He pulls it off. That's the God that we're talking about. That's the fire, the holy presence that can change anybody's past into something amazing. Say, but Jimmy, I <laughs> I'm nobody. I mean, Moses, I mean, come on, he was at least the prince of Egypt for I, I, I'm I'm nobody to anybody. Well I want to tell you this, Moses says exactly the same thing when he sees this bush. In Exodus 3:11 he says, "There is no greatness in me. Who am I to influence anyone, let alone Pharaoh? Maybe you think the same thing about you. <laughs> Who am I? Me be an influence on somebody? No way. Those are the words of Moses? And so I'm glad Moses asked the question because not only is it an important one, as you can tell in this room, it's probably a very familiar. I mean, we get God using 40-year-old Moses pre-murder. But 80-year-old Moses, 80-year-old Moses post-murder, come on. The 40-year-old version was, was much more appealing. The Moses back in Egypt was brash and he was confident. But the Moses that we find four decades later, he's reluctant, he's weather-beaten, he's been put out to pasture for heaven's sake. Now, having seen Moses back in Egypt, you might have said, that man's ready for battle. Educated in the finest system in the world. Trained by the most able of soldiers. Instant access to the circle of Pharaoh. Moses spoke their language. He knew their habits. He was the perfect man for the job at 40. And we like Moses at 40. But come on, Moses at 80? The guy smells like a shepherd. (laughs) He speaks like a foreigner, or furner, as we say here in Texas. He's too old. He's too tired. Why would Pharaoh take this guy seriously? He's not ready for battle. He's ready for a nap. And Moses would have agreed. I promise you. He would have agreed. And he will tell you, look, I tried to work with those people back there once. Not interested. These sheep are used to lead. I'll just stay here out in the wilderness. Thank you. No, left to himself, Moses, I promise, would not have gone back to Egypt. And you or I would not have sent him. But God did. And how does that figure? Benched at 40 and asked to suit up at 80? <laughs> what does he know now that he didn't know back then? What did he learn in the desert that he didn't learn while he was in Egypt? A couple of things, I think, that are significant. For starters, the ways of the desert. For 40 years, Moses was a city boy. By 80, I'm telling you, he knows the name of every snake in the area and every water hole in the place. Now, if he's going to lead thousands of people, hundreds of thousands of Hebrews out into the wilderness, he might need to know the basics of desert one-on-one. you think? He knows the ways of a family now. He married him a Midianite priest woman. <laughs> Starts his own family. The guy's going to lead families out into this wilderness. He might need to know what it's like to live in one, right? His time in the wilderness didn't disqualify him, church. If anything, it prepared him. And so has yours. None of this has been wasted. So please don't tell me that God can't use you for his purposes because you've messed up sexually. Because if you tell me that, I'm going to point you to Rahab, who did it professionally but who trusted God wholeheartedly that what doesn't exist can exist because He exists. And because of that faith, He gave her not only a husband, He gave her a family. He didn't stop there. And then put that family in a tree from which Jesus Christ Himself comes from. So please don't tell me He can't work with someone who can't keep His word either because I'll just point you to Peter. You talk about someone who over-promises and underdelivers. <laughs> That's Peter. Time and time again. And yet God says, I'm going to give this guy the keys to the kingdom. Why would he do that? I wouldn't give him the keys to the bathroom. But God gives him the keys to the kingdom. And here's why. Because he believes in a God who can bring into existence what doesn't exist. So God used him. Tell me he can't do much with someone who has so little. And I'll take you to a nameless boy in Scripture who had a couple of loaves and a couple of fish Thousands of people needed to be fed. He said, I got these. And he just brought what he had. And God, who can bring into existence what doesn't exist, took those, broke them, and thousands had lunch. Don't tell me that God can't do much with someone who has a reputation that spent weeks in the headlines and it was ugly. Because I'll point you to King David, who spent... Thousands of years in the headlines of scriptures. And his murder and his adultery was absolutely ugly. And God took that because he brought it to God in that fiery presence, that holy presence of the Father. And he confessed that ugly. And he repented of that ugly. And God healed that ugly. And still today, he's taking that and using it for his good. What Satan meant for harm, he lost on. That's what God does. That's what happens when you get fired up by a God who can bring into existence what doesn't exist for one reason. He exists. He did it for Abraham. He did it for Moses. He did it for Peter. He did it for Rahab. He did it for this unnamed boy. And he did it for me. He did it for me. Burning bushes may be rare, but I promise you they're not extinct by any means. I've experienced only a couple The first one most of you know about, it occurred when my first wife showed up at my business. She was in her pajamas. (laughs) But God had told her He didn't want her to sleep until she knocked on my door and talked to me about maybe becoming my second wife. That burning bush incident came when that marriage was officially over. But not with God. Because God's famous for bringing what doesn't exist back into existence even when it doesn't. Burning bush number two came during my time while I was finishing up my uh, preaching stint over at Fredericksburg at the Oak Hills Church. Gail and I both felt like God was calling us out of that ministry even though we'd only been there about 18, 19 months but we just felt like that God had finished what he sent us there to do and he was asking us to leave and we shared that with the church and they were as bewildered as we were. I mean, the church was thriving. No, it was exploding and yet we felt like God was still asking us to leave. And so the day that I preached my resignation, not that I talked to him about the resignation about two months earlier, but the day I was preaching my final message, the last one that I would preach at that church, my second burning bush came into my life. And his name was Frank Greer. Frank was a member of this church who he and Virginia had gone over to visit the first and only Sunday that they ever went to the church in Oak Hills to attend services. And after that service was over, a man I had never met in my life walked up and was in tears and he said, I just want you to know that your sermon was so helpful to me today. He said, but I think it could be helpful for a group of folks meeting in Kerrville, Texas. I said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, we're looking for a preacher. Do you mind if if I if I talk to the elders about you? And I said, sir, I, uh, in my lesson I just got to mention that Gil and I are about to take six months off. We're, we're, we're crispy. We struggle with God about this decision and we feel like this is the right decision for us and for the church, but But we need some time away. I said I'm preaching at First Baptist Church in Kerrville next week, but then I'm off for six months to go, to go just rest and then try to hear what God wants us to do next. This burning bush wasn't taking no for an answer. He said, I mean, literally, y'all see how services work, you know, stand and sing. We sing the invitation song. Preacher's up there talking to people. He he would leave. He said, what if I talk to the elders next week, or not next week, tomorrow? And got them to come over and visit with you here at Oak Hills. I said, okay, if you could arrange that. They were there the next day. The next day. I, I, I shared with them, you know, why we were stepping down and, and why we thought that God was leading us to do that. And they told us about Kerrville and where they were at as a church. And, and I said, well, guys, I, like, I, like I told Frank yesterday, I said, I, I'm speaking at First Baptist next week, and then I'm, I'm, at, uh, I'm, I'm off for six months. Well, the elders came to First Baptist next week. The bush wouldn't go away. Okay? <laughs> uh, we talked about a time, and then went a couple of months later that I could come back and I could preach here. And I'm telling you, it had nothing to do with the church. It had everything to do with where we were in our lives. And so I went to Mountain Family Fellowship five months later. And I was finishing up a, a sermon there. And actually, we had their big forest fire there, so we had to do it in the gym. And the burning bush followed me there. in in the form of a head coach and a a principal from Tally. As soon as the services were over, they came up, and they said, "Um, um, we're looking for a preacher in Kerrville. I said, well, isn't that strange? I said, because I'm preaching in Kerrville next week. Dave and Holly Jones had no idea the guy was using them to be a burning bush that helped us get here. But he did. Bush, coach, principal, preacher plumber, electrician. Doesn't matter where, he can bring his holy presence anywhere. And when he does, you will have a choice. To come here, or to ignore. Moses chose to come here, and it changed his life. What are you going to do with your chance? You see, I'm just sensing this morning that that this very well could be a burning bush moment for some of you here. And you were absolutely worn out with the covering. I mean, worn out with the running. Worn out with the hiding. And you would like to believe that this fire could forgive you and heal you and transform you and then be used by Him to bless others like me. It's true. I'm living proof of this. Now, before I came here, I said, Elders, you've got you to listen to one sermon that, that I preached at Oak Hills, and it talks about this preacher and his wife destroying a marriage for our own selfish purposes, and God restoring that marriage for his divine purposes. And they did. And several of them have told me off and on throughout the years, it wasn't in spite of that that they hired me. It was because of that that they hired me. We have a few broken people that come through here. Have you noticed? We have a few broken people who are running from some things are covering something, And they just don't know where they can trust the presence of God to be. And so as humbly as we can, we try. We try to be that presence. And we're not on some days. We're just not. And it gets in the way sometimes. His holy fire is needed here. It's needed here. I don't want to be here if it's not. You don't really want to be here if it's not. If we're just going to play church... We can go play all kinds of games out there. This cannot be just another game. It's got to be real. It's got to be a place where His presence is welcomed and anticipated and, and not settled for if it's not. So your elders are working hard, and it's true. Let me finish with this sentence. It comes from the Apostle Paul who was damaged goods. Man, before he was a missionary of Christians, he was a murderer of Christians. But, but but god came to him in his burning bush on a damascus road and he got his full attention and 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 paul didn't turn away <laughs> when god said come here he said okay okay what do you want me to do and they figured it out together and then somewhere later in his life he wrote these words and i am certain that god who began the good work within you will continue his work until it's finally finished on the day that jesus christ returns there are two things i want you to hear in there Did you hear what he's doing in you? A good work. He's working, okay? Now you've got a choice whether to come alongside and help out in that project or ignore it, but he's working. And he's not going to stop working till when? Till Jesus comes. Has Jesus come? No. Let me help you with that theologically. No. And so he's not through with you yet, okay? He's not done. I mean, a continual process of failure and mistakes and wrongs and embarrassment that you keep bringing back to the Holy Presence, the Holy Fire, and allowing Him to forgive it and heal it and touch it and transform it and use it for His good for someone else who's in the same place that you wound up a couple of weeks ago. So what does the Father want from you? He wanted Moses to remove his shoes because that's what stood between him and holiness. He wanted them all the way close. He didn't want that from you. You can keep your shoes on, but what He wants from you is your sin. Because it is keeping you from God. And He's not going to take it from you. But if you bring it to Him, I promise you this Holy Presence will forgive it, and He will heal it, and He will use it for His glory if you'll let Him. If you'll let Him. I wish I could have been there with Moses. But you know what I'll settle for? God being here with us. Because he promised wherever two or more are gathered in my name, I'm telling you, that's holy ground. He's not settling for bushes. He wants bodies. And so I'm just going to invite you right now, stand up. Bodies, come on. I know you're out of practice. Stand up, because we're going to sing to one another the truth of what I just said. This, right here, is holy ground. And there are angels all around. So let us praise, okay, Jesus now. Because you're standing on holy ground. And if today is a day that's your burning bush day and you need someone to walk with you to that burning bush and say, would you forgive me, God? I'm going to be right down here. And I'll listen and we'll go together. We'll figure out the social distancing part of that. Who gives a rip? But we'll go together and we'll figure it out. And if you want to be baptized in the Christ today, we can do that. If you feel uncomfortable going back here in this baptism, we'll get a Dunkin' booth, okay? You know, we'll set you up in there and we'll throw something. But we will go with you into the presence of this holy fire. Let's sing.